0: Hello and welcome to the Courage To Be podcast where we explore how to raise your game, lean into discomfort and have more impact and purpose. I am your host Sinead Millard. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to this week's episode of The Courage to Be. I am very excited to share with you a conversation with the best selling author and visionary entrepreneur, Fiona Humberstone, also known as the brand stylist. Fiona is the author and publisher of the best selling books, How to Style Your Brand and Brand Brilliance. She is passionate about empowering entrepreneurs to create incredible brands. Fiona runs inspirational online courses, game changing workshops and highly sought after retreats. Um, But as always here in The Courage To Be, it's a little bit more than um, everyday business. We're tapping into some of those tougher moments, um, leaning into those conversations. And Fiona shares very openly with strength and courage some of the tougher moments and how Fiona has managed to move through these experiences. Fiona, you are very welcome to The Courage To Be, and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're sitting in Fiona's beautiful sitting room with our little
1: doggy. <laughs> with a little doggy, you might see a squirrel yeah, and that's go nuts a, in that, a minute. That's okay, that's
0: okay. <laughs> but as always, as I like to do with these conversations, let's get straight to the crux of The Courage To Be. Okay. Um, so you... Recently, the end of November, posted on Instagram a post which I referred to as feeling vulnerable. Yes. Um, which I was immediately drawn to read, and so inspired by what you had to say that I actually reached out to you, invited you onto the show, and I'd like to begin there. If you can take us back to that moment in time and perhaps share with our audience what you were experiencing, but also what inspired you to share so openly and with such oh strength.
1: My God. <laughs> I think, so what inspired me to share was that I just got to that point where I couldn't not, if you know what I mean. Mm. And I didn't, I've got a really good friend who, Elizabeth, who I run lots of things past and I didn't even ask her. I just kind of, (laughs) I was just like, no, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to write it. So I've been very fortunate in this. It, so I've had a business before and I really understand how challenging and difficult it can be mm. to run a business. But I've been very lucky with the brand stylist because I launched it when Poppy, my youngest, was 18 months, two, something like that. And i had been very clear about sort of how I set it up and and what set me apart and what made me different and what I would do and what I wouldn't do. And Kept my overheads quite low. No staff this time. No rent or rates or any of those things that distract me from doing good work. And so, because of that, I've been very lucky in that. Sort of my business had gone from strength to strength, and it it hadn't. It, you know, it wasn't like there weren't periods that weren't tricky. But ultimately, you know, I felt really inspired. I felt really confident. People responded on the whole really well to what I was doing. And for the last year, eighteen months. I'd released things and much to my surprise and delight, they would sell out kind of instantly. Mm -hmm. So I'd done this retreat and for two years in a row, it had sold out in like a day. And then I launched this program called Elevate, which was all about helping brand designers take their work and their businesses to the next level. Mm -hmm. And I launched the first one in July just thinking oh god I might get three people but you know yeah. I want to run one in September and if I if I want to do that I have to launch it now so I did it and it again it's all about in a day which kind of blew my mind yeah. and then I yeah and Elevate was going really well the feedback I was getting from these people was phenomenal yeah. so I spoke to Elizabeth about launching another Elevate in January because January is a time when for designers, in my experience, it's always been super quiet. So it's a brilliant time to work on your business. And we were kind of debating, is it too soon after the first one? You know, there hasn't been much of a gap, but the feedback from the designers that were doing Elevate was so phenomenal. And there'd been so many people telling me in July that they wanted to do the course in January that I thought, well, I've just got to do it. So I launched elevate in november and a couple of weeks before that had launched the retreat and the retreat i was genuinely expecting to sell really quickly and it didn't Mm -hmm. so the retreat didn't sell out and what month was that that was october Mm -hmm. and and i'd moved it from october from may to october because my daughter does her gcses in june next year and i i just wanted to be there for her Mm -hmm. So with the retreat, I kind of thought, okay, we've got Brexit looming because at that point, Brexit was happening on Halloween. So it was like most stupid time to launch anything two weeks, two weeks before Brexit. I kind of put it down to that. And, you know, obviously I was a bit bummed, but I didn't think too much of it. You had perspective around the circumstances. And then Elevate didn't sell and like really didn't. I mean, I've, I've got people on there and I'm really excited for the people that are on there. But you know we're a long way off the twenty people sellout situation, and um, and I just felt really really bad about it. I just and it was a weird thing that bit because I suppose I I just felt like maybe I've just not done enough, you know, maybe I've not given away enough free things this year, or maybe I've not shared enough with the community. And actually, I have done loads. I suppose I just got into this horrible kind of comparison syndrome thing mm. and I started beating myself up. And the, I suppose all the time that this is going on, I'd also noticed for the, for the last six months, my Instagram was bombing. And that, you know, like everyone has noticed, yeah, or, or a lot of people have noticed, Instagram isn't having, not so much the cut through, I just felt quite disconnected. And I just was like, what is going on? It must be me. And mm. So I was feeling really awful and I'd spent a few weeks sort of trying to sort myself out and and get myself out of it. And I think it sounds awful, but the real catalyst for me was my lovely friend Sophie, who's phenomenal and works very hard and has this phenomenal Instagram following. She launched a retreat and it sold out in an hour. We were like, right <laughs> and she was coming for lunch on the Thursday. <laughs> and I just felt like such a failure I really 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 felt like a failure and I just thought I don't know how you know my own sanity can cope with being around someone that is exuding such success Mm. without understanding what's going on I just I just felt like I wanted to understand what was happening and I and I wasn't really planning on Posting that post, which sounds weird, but I'd been listening to this podcast by Sarah Tasker and Jen Carrington, Letters from Hopeful Creative. Okay, yes. And they, they had some stuff on comparison, which was really helpful. And Sarah had said something about, if only you could see her drafts folder. So posts she writes. She writes publishes. posts and never posts them, mm. never publishes them. And and I thought, well, I'll just do that. And, and it was amazing, because I suppose I just felt so ashamed, partly because I think... I've got this real passionate belief that you don't need to hard sell people to have a successful business. And like, I was the poster girl for like just attracting the right kind of clients mm. and your business going well. It's not that I don't work hard. I work incredibly hard. On the, on, on the right but things, uh, so yes, yeah, And I suppose I just felt like, geez, this is like, I'm doing this whole thing. And I, I just feel like such a failure. So I wrote this post and as I was writing it, I just felt that weight lift of shame and embarrassment. And I didn't do this really for the posting, but as I was writing it, the the last couple of paragraphs, I'm talking about what I'm going to do to turn myself around because I never write negative moany posts.
0: Your posts are quite inspiring
1: Uh, and uplifting. I always want them to have some kind of value in them (laughs) rather than just me moaning. And it was that kind of writing that stuff about what I was going to do that made me feel really inspired, and I thought, well, okay, if I feel really inspired, one, I want people to know they're not alone. Mm. that was why I posted it, and also, yeah, in the end, it just I suppose I felt like I had nothing to lose <laughs> really yeah. I, didn't, I didn't expect I mean it's had a phenomenal response because the blog post has had kind of hundreds of comments, and then the Instagram post the same, and then I got lots of emails and direct messages and mm. and I came home one day, I think it was on the Saturday, to this massive bunch of flowers on the doorstep, wow. which was so nice from someone that I worked with years ago. She lives in the village that I don't see. Oh, You know, I've not seen her for years and just things like that. Just really. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I know it's
0: it sounds cliche to say we connect with people's imperfections, but I think somebody who has had the amount of success like you and you talk about words like, shame yeah, embarrassment, we're all experiencing them at some point in time. And to read it from someone who, (laughs) you know, you see this beautiful grid, you see these wonderful programs, it's I think it's it kind of shows the, I guess, um, your capacity to genuinely serve the tribe or the community that it is you're connected with, Mm. you know, Um, and I think for me, you know, I was drawn because I could see it's everything about the post was candid. I mean, I guess there was nothing about it. It was just you—you you couldn't but see the intention behind it.
1: Oh, well, that's good because I was worried. I was really worried, and and I did have one person say, I can't remember the words they used, but and, and you know, there was no accusation and there was no backlash, but I got the feeling that she had seen it as a a bit of a a ploy, mm, a strategy. So a strategy, mm, yeah, mm. and you know, like that that's everything I stand against Mm. is doing things because it ticks box or because it, there are things with my Instagram that I think, okay, well, if that's the way you have to play the game now, I'm not playing it,
0: Mm.
1: you know, and you read all these strategies by Instagram influencers who are like, you've got to be this and you've got to be that. And you, and I just think, no, I'm just going to be myself. And if that means it doesn't cut through as much, as much anymore, Mm and that's what happens and this was amazing to show me that there were still people there listening because i just felt like i was putting this good stuff out and people just weren't getting to see it yeah it's not that they didn't like it but they weren't getting to see it and that was amazing as well for flipping my focus so now why cuz i you know for the last few months i don't know about you but i've woken up and i've thought right what on earth am i going to put on instagram today mm. it doesn't matter how good it is how am i going to get people to notice it because However, good it is, quite often Instagram doesn't show it. And now I just feel like I've got this connection back to my tribe and I understand what they want and I understand what they're going through and what they need from me. And I know exactly what I need to do and I'm really inspired. So now I'm writing loads on the blog and I'm using Instagram to tell people about the post that's on the blog. Mm, rather than the other way around. You know, I think Instagram has been amazing for lots of people, but I think it takes away a lot from what lots of us are good at. Like, I love to write and I love to share useful content. You can't do that on Instagram. It reduces it to so few characters.
0: Obviously, there's a process when we go through a painful experience, right? But there's a genuine capacity in how you share this experience of you being able to reflect on the experience and extract the learnings. There's a general theme that I see when when interviewing very high performing individuals and they have, a it came up very strong in Nick Evans, ex All Blacks, when I interviewed him, his capacity when he got dropped from the All Blacks to really reflect. I think there's a process where you're not ready to reflect maybe Mm. like right then, but to go back and almost extract the information from what's happened and really just kind of put the emotion to the side Mm. for that moment in time. So what would you say, I guess, has this been something that you've always intentionally been able to do throughout your career or for perhaps people out there who kind of avoid those painful experiences and just want to quickly move on?
1: I think I probably always look for the learning in everything, Mm. everything. And, you know, my daughter's doing her mocks at the moment and she's come home every day and, you know, some things have gone well and some things haven't. And I've been like, okay, well, that, you know, what have you learned about how much revision you need to do or in terms of her mocks she couldn't have done any more in the two weeks that she chose to do the revision for than Mm. she did so Mm. we've learned to spend longer on revision we've learned to you know lots of things that she's implemented and there's lots of things that she hasn't and I think it's that same process that I take to my work Mm. you know could I have done any more with the resources that I had with the time that I've got with the three kids and a puppy, you know, there's all those things that you look, I don't see the point of beating myself up. I don't tend to do that very much, which is why this experience was quite unusual, because I was finding myself in this whole beating myself up.
0: Yeah, now thing. you did nicely articulate in your blog, you had that capacity to almost differentiate between I think what you referred to as the rational me and almost that inner critic that yeah getting yeah lighter. and again I think it's the fact that we're all everyone's experiencing these type of things on yeah. some level it's it's being able to put a spotlight on it yeah you know and I think yes. it's like when that internal because we don't perform when the internal critic no is, is no high, you definitely know? Not. Um, and that's why I think being able to share these experiences and break them down it can really support people into kind of stepping back and going both voices will be there yeah at a point in time which one will you choose yeah and i think something that came up we spoke briefly before this conversation and i've I've been thinking about this since i mentioned confidence being a combination of self-liking and competence and and you said something that really kind of stuck with me which was competence being a byproduct of self-liking Right. Oh, okay. So it was the fact that you were saying, well, through your competence, you kind of, your self liking kind of, and it re- increases anyway. Yeah. And I think this talks to, and, I, and I'd love to go here a little bit deeper, but you're a kind of go getter type, um, very much your capacity to build upon your skill and to drive competence. And yeah. I'd love to tap into that a little bit because sometimes when we hear about confidence, it's almost like, If we read a book, we'll feel confident.
1: Yeah, or or if we just just do more, temporary feeling. You know, you just do more, and you'll feel confident. Yeah, that's that. I've been writing loads of blog posts, and I've got loads in my head around that actually at the moment. Mm. Around protecting your creative confidence. So I work lots with designers and entrepreneurs that are quite creative, and yeah, I really think that when you when you feel inspired and creative and confident in yourself you produce your best work. And when you're producing your best work, that kind of gives you this vitality, doesn't it? That Mm. sustains you in your business. Particularly people that don't understand or know the design industry can think that if you're not feeling confident and you're not attracting the right kind of clients, hike your prices, Mm. because that's the answer. Or, you know, go specialize in a certain industry, because that's the answer. And actually what it does is ends up making you feel really vulnerable. Because rather than building on this sort of bedrock of confidence and competence, mm. you're feeling like you just, you know, all you're noticing is what you don't know. And so I always think the key thing is to come right back to basics and look at, you know, what's, what's my style? What am I really good at? What am I interested in? And you don't need to wait for somebody to pay you the big bucks before you design a brand identity, in my case, that looks like the big bucks. People always feel like they need permission through the form of money from a client to, you know, once once someone's prepared to pay that, they'll be able to design that project. So it's, it's almost like deliver that level of excellence, even if it's yes, not reflected in yes, the price. or yes. Right. Yeah, and yeah. Yesterday, I put this post out there about letting brilliance lead the way. So, you know, rather than, I think certainly as creatives, but all entrepreneurs, we've got two choices. So you can either put all of your energy into learning the algorithms, learning how to write direct sales copy, you know, creating elaborate sales funnels, working on your SEO, or you can put your energy into being really good at what you do. And you cannot do both. No one has time to do both. Mm. You know, it's one or the other. I've never met anyone that can do both well. Yeah. One will suffer. And what I've learned, because I've tried both, what I've learned is that when you focus on being really good, people talk about you. People say, "I'll oh, go and work with so-and-so because mm. she's brilliant. And that is far more powerful than any algorithm ever will be.
0: And probably far more fulfilling on a very bas- I exactly. mean you engage with the process daily. You're you so vulnerable with pro- when
1: you're at the yeah. mercy of algorithms and SEO. As a result of that um, vulnerable post, someone emailed me and said that they had been top for some search on some kind of platform. Yeah. For argument's yeah. sake. Yeah. And overnight, their sales had, they'd, the algorithm had changed and their sales had fallen through the floor, and her whole business had collapsed. Wow. So it was a complete reliance
0: on an algorithm. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how devastating. And she said she's picked herself up slowly. and But yeah. how mortifying. And I think if you focus on being brilliant, none of this is invaluable. You know, you, you're going to have times like I do when mm-hmm. it's tougher than normal. But I think what that post, that vulnerable post showed me was actually... It, probably wasn't really things that I had got wrong there was bigger stuff going on out there in the market
0: you were able to kind of define it as a business problem rather than yeah. a personal yeah and that
1: was the game changer for me because as soon as I realized that it was a business problem and that I hadn't upset a load of people and that I hadn't offended everyone or that I wasn't irrelevant and what I was saying people were saying the quality of what you produce is amazing I just haven't got any money at the moment. So knowing that they Mm -hmm. recognised that, then I was like, okay, well, now I know how to talk to you because I've been there before. So 2007, when the recession happened, I've been through that and I know how people think and I know it won't last forever and I know that I can just get everything in place. One, to help people because, you know, quite often, if you're feeling like everything's shrinking in economically you need to be the loudest voice, Mm. you know, you need to get your branding in order. You need to get your website looking right, your messaging, right. You know, so there's loads of stuff I can do to help people because I've been there before. So it it was knowing that it wasn't a problem with me, but that actually there was a business issue.
0: Yeah, of course. And that courage to ask people what's going on and to get that information back. And I guess obviously you brought up branding, and I could talk about vulnerability (laughs) and failures and reflection all day, but let's go to branding. (laughs) I think I'm specifically thinking about branding as it relates to small business owners and thinking of my audience as well. And it feels like the expectations have changed dramatically, right? So if I think back to, I guess now there's an expectation on small business owners to have a brand that is off a certain level of quality, right? Um, but I think that also results in kind of a lot of overwhelmed small business owners not knowing where to start or what level of investment they need. They don't necessarily have the design capabilities themselves. What would you say to small business owners who are perhaps in this situation?
1: I think what's really exciting is that 20 years ago, you didn't need brand identity, did you? Mm. You know, you could, you could run approach. a business. Everyone accepted that it's a small business and then there were no expectations. You know, there wasn't such a thing as a website for a small business. You had a business card, a letterhead and a brochure, you know, and that, yeah. that you know, <laughs> that looked however it looked. Yeah. And it didn't It didn't really matter. And I can remember when I started my career in 2000, I started in a print company and, you know, we talked about corporate identities. I mean, how ridiculous corporate identity for a micro business. But I think it's so exciting how... Branding has completely evolved. And I think our expectations as consumers are that we don't make any concessions Mm. for the fact that you're small Mm. in terms of your brand. You know, if you're making soaps, they need to look just as beautiful, if not more so than the stuff we can get on the high street. Yeah, so we expect that, that. The expectation
0: could be higher for small yes, businesses. It's hard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I
1: think what's really exciting is it's not impossible to achieve that and it doesn't have to cost you a fortune. Mm. So this morning I was working on a vineyard brand, so New English Sparkling Wine Vineyard in Sussex. Mm-hmm. Very glamorous, very exciting. Mm-hmm. And they've invested quite a lot of money in their branding. Mm. But, you know, I work with people who have done their brand identities themselves or, or really bootstrapped it I do recommend you invest in the brand identity because it makes such a difference to your Mm. confidence if nothing else but however much money you spend what advice I would give to go back to your question is to get really clear on what your business is what sets it apart and what impact you want to create so by that I mean when people look at your website or you hand them a business card if people still do that I I certainly don't have any anymore or, you know, they see a piece of packaging or whatever it is, how do you want people to feel about your business? What do you, you know, what sense do you want them to get? Where do you want to pitch it in the market? And it, if you can get that focus in at the start, it will make a huge difference.
0: I hear a lot of people talking about logos. So having a logo created, you know, as a kind of a starting point. Yeah, it's right? It's Kind a badge. of skipping a nice the badge. clarity process. Yeah, I think yeah. the
1: thing is, Having a logo created is really exciting. You know, when we dream about setting up our own businesses, quite often that dream involves what your brand might look like, doesn't it? Yeah. Nobody ever dreams of creating brand clarity. <laughs> like it's yeah. not, it's not part of the dream. And it's difficult. It's not, it's really difficult, really hard. It requires you to be quite brave because actually to have clarity, you have to accept that you're not going to be all things to everybody. You can't appeal to everyone. You've got to kind of really focus in. Coming back to the confidence really about what it is that sets you apart and what makes you different. So, it's quite hard to get to. Yeah, can can I
0: ask you yeah. what is it that sets you apart and makes you different? So, if you were to
1: kind of Me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, I do one thing I do think is that you never totally have this stuff nailed. Mm. And the reason I'm saying that is, if you'd asked me this in September, the answer I'd given you might have been slightly different to what I've learned about what's going on in the market now. And Mm. you have to be responsive to that. So I think that my focus for my business is all about empowering entrepreneurs and designers to create incredible brands. Firmly believe that the brands should be intentional. So it's not just about having a nice looking logo, it's about having something that sets the right tone helps you create the impression you want you know so I think intentional design is a really key thing for me and working with entrepreneurs that think big not not every entrepreneur values branding and design and that's okay because there's lots of different ways to run your business but for me a big part of what I do is not hustling you know, it's about attracting the right kind of clients without having to do the hard sell.
0: And how has that evolved for you over the years? So as in, has it taken you long to kind of, I guess, articulate what you're now articulating, I guess, to launch of the brand stylist, which was?
1: Well, I launched in 2014 and my goals were pretty similar. I had had a design agency before that. I've been doing this whole thing for about 20 years the intentional design came about through the design agency and the empowering entrepreneurs. Again, you know, I met so many entrepreneurs in my last job that really, or my last business, that that really I was seeing time and time again that they had commissioned brand identities that they weren't happy with and they knew they weren't working for them and they knew they wanted to work with us to get to put them right. Mm. But because they'd spent however much money six months, a year, two years ago, they couldn't bring themselves to do it again. Yes. And I was just like, oh, this is so sad. Like they, they could really do with knowing how branding works and what kind of things to ask for and what kind of signals it's sending out so that they're not having this kind of regret Six months down the line, mm, or having um,
0: that dread when you even—I guess—as you're thinking, I'm kind of processing this for myself as well. It's like there's one thing outsourcing your branding, but then it's almost like not feeling empowered to really you know, glance a critical eye over it and feel confident in even knowing whether or not it's right. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> and and that was really interesting about this. So this morning we had a presentation from the design agency, and you know they're a really amazing design agency. But I was really glad I was there because. The clients were talking lots about what they liked and what they didn't. And I was able to take a step back and go, "Okay, but our brief is that we want it to feel relaxed and unpretentious and we want quality and we want it to feel quite contemporary. So actually, this is the one that answers that brief. And it takes quite a lot of focus and competence, I guess, to get to that point, because you've really got to understand what you're seeing and what signals what you're seeing is sending out.
0: Yeah. So then that brings me to coming back to the Courage to Be and, you know, you mentioned 20 years there. And I think that's just important for us to say that a lot of people listening might be starting out. Right. And it's really Mm -hmm. hard to have patience in today's market because (laughs) it looks like everyone's having an overnight success. And, you know, we're all so I think it's just to, to kind of have that perspective for a moment and. And then is something that I talk about is this capacity to go into the market and play to extract information so that we can move forward. And you talked about it taking time to know where our competence lies, right? Mm. So at what point in time do we say, oh, I need to invest in a brand, branding kind of investment, or I don't have that clarity just yet. And you know, so as I think that there is, if we think about new business owners, who perhaps are feeling excited about yeah. kind of creating that brand. Yeah, yeah. Right? When is it too soon?
1: To create the brand. Yeah. Because so yeah, you talked really about question. learning,
0: you know, what you're competent in. I think that takes time yeah. to be in the market.
1: And also, you know, let's say you've got a product, who you think you might be selling to or what you think they might value about what you're doing can change. Mm. So I think when you're launching anything, you have to have absolute clarity it's just essential and, and all you can do is create clarity from the information that you've got so i created a course about a year ago called brand clarity mm. and the whole premise of that is that you go back to it you know so so do it before you launch but do it again 6 months in and see what's changed yeah. you know it's that measuring process do it every year so we're coming to the point where lots has changed in the market so i'm going to sit down and do that over the next couple of weeks. Mm. So I think the clarity will always change. I think quite often what sets you apart and what message you want to give people will stay quite constant. So for that reason, you really need to lo- launch your brand as you mean to go on. It will might be refreshed, but the
0: messaging shouldn't fundamentally yeah, change.
1: Yeah, so I wouldn't go all out and spend a ridiculous amount of money, but... I think spend enough that you get really good quality work. If you've outgrown it in two years, happy days. Yeah. You know, then you're doing really well. Yeah. But you should, in theory, it should last you about 10 years. So if you've done a good job and you've, you know, you've, you've been really clear about what sets you apart and you've worked with someone brilliant who's created you a brand, not just based on something that looks nice, but has listened to what, where you want to take your business and who you want to impress.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the interesting thing in in thinking about when it's a service-based brand. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's hard to differentiate yourself from the business. So like my own personality versus what I stand for as a brand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then as always, I want to kind of just bring it back to some of the grittier topics. So I know that a lot of our audience are often overly concerned with what other people think or the critics, so to speak. Yeah. You strike me as someone who is incredibly resilient and I'm kind of interested to know as to whether or not you struggle with this. Is this something you have to work on or? Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's really interesting because in the last couple of weeks, uh, you know, I've been at quite a low ebb, so I've not been very resilient. You know, I'm, I am put all the reasons in my blog post, yeah. but, you know, there's been lots and lots and lots of things that have happened over the last year that have just knocked the stuffing out of me. Mm. So I find it at the moment quite a lot harder to shake things off than I would do. I had this day, probably just before or after we spoke initially, where I'd spent about three weeks unpaid time on this Gifts for Entrepreneurs post, which I had done for the community. And, um, you know, I don't get paid for that. And, you know, when I planned this stuff, I, I hadn't really anticipated it would be a business problem because I, I kind of thought, well, if the retreat sells and elevate sells, I can afford to give this, <laughs> this time away. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'd, I'd spent all this time and, it, you know, it was the backdrop of that was going on as well. Anyway, somebody just went nuts at me and was really quite vicious. <laughs> so I spent the whole morning in tears <laughs> about that. Because, you know, I think I'd said something and she'd misunderstood, but she had then gone for the jugular. Just gone hard. Yeah, <laughs> she'd gone hard. She'd gone really hard. Um, and I, yeah, so that just devastated me. Mm. And then in the afternoon, somebody, I'd written this blog post and um, somebody just completely trolled it so I spent the evening in tears as well and actually with that it was interesting because obviously I wasn't going to publish it because you don't feed the trolls do you yeah but what was really interesting was it it made me see how if we were being generous how what I'd written could have been misinterpreted and actually gave me a really good opportunity to reword Anything the that may have been able to extract the learning. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> did you actually yeah. sit down and I go through I went with... I wow. it with Elizabeth for about an hour. And I feel great about that post now. And I didn't feel not great about it before. But I thought, actually, that's a real gift. I'm sure you didn't mean it as a gift, but... The gift know, and the challenge. Thank you, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I think that same person had probably trolled me over the summer... And I just shrugged it off with two fingers because I was probably feeling a bit more yeah, resilient at that time. Yeah, this is interesting,
0: yeah. I
1: mean, they, you know, if it's a troll, they never put their actual email address down. They never put a website where you can trace them back. Yeah. They never put their name. So I don't know for sure, but it had been written in a similar way. So I, I think I don't not care. I really care about what mm. people think, really deeply care. And that can massively get in the way sometimes. But I also just think when I'm feeling good about what I'm doing and I, when I'm inspired and, oh, and I love these, I do days with the brand stylists and I love them because it mm. really, it means I can help people and also get an understanding for what they're struggling with. Mm. And then quite often I'll write blog posts around the sorts of things that I think they might find quite helpful, which I then find chimes with other people as well. Yeah. So I think if I stay in that thing of following my inspiration, I don't often get upset by what people say. See, I love that you've you've said
0: that in a way that it's almost like when the foundation is strong and you know what yeah. your foundation, you know what's needed for your foundation yeah. to be strong. So inspiration, in yeah. service, whatever it yeah, is that yeah, that yeah. looks like, it's almost like your coping strategies are much stronger. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, so I think it's a real, it's a reality for so many people, and I think that every time I ask this question to a guest, it's like everyone says, "Of course I care." Like, I can mean, most most people. Are, yeah. You know, they've a large degree. I of think empathy. you'd be
1: not very human if you didn't. Yeah, care.
0: yeah. I think Michael Sarah said, I just don't care enough to edit who it is I am.
1: Okay. Yeah. yeah.
0: And, and I think. Yeah. And I'm <laughs> not
1: going to edit who I am. Yeah. But I think also if something I said has been misinterpreted, that's tricky, isn't it? I mean, certainly with this woman that went for me in the morning, I had been quite helpful by trying to give her feedback, but she hadn't asked me for any feedback. Okay. And that had really upset yeah. her. The permission and that wasn't was there like perhaps, uh, oh shit. You know, <laughs> my sisters have told me this is a problem. <laughs> and now I'm doing it again. <laughs> I, like I should have listened. <laughs> and I think sometimes that's more upsetting, isn't it, when you know that you've got a yeah. tendency to do this again. And, you know, you're like, Jesus. But it's
0: brilliant. Like, I mean, I just think, like, I hope I get to this stage. So I think that it's the self-knowing, right? And then there's having a conversation on a podcast where you're exploring and processing that. And I just think that, I mean, I think we'll forever kind of mess up, you know, and do things
1: that we have to sit back and go. And I think all you can do is be human, can't you? Yeah. I just, well, I was devastated by that. And I... I reached out to her in a very human way, and it, it didn't necessarily—it wasn't necessarily reciprocated. <laughs> but but I just after that I felt quite at peace with it because I thought actually mm. I've been really genuine and really myself, mm. and I don't know what's going on in her life, and yeah. and you know may it, well I know that what you know that didn't have a very positive impact on her, and that's really gutting, isn't it? And, yeah, you know, yeah. Um,
0: I don't know why I feel compelled to ask you this question, because it's not a question I typically ask or I had planned to ask. But (laughs) recently, (laughs) I'm just meeting a lot of mums who once had a very big career and and have become mums for the first time. And some now moving into kind of baby number two and are kind of really struggling to kind of pursue a purpose beyond motherhood. And it's not to say that everybody wants it. That's not to say that motherhood isn't the most purposeful thing for many people but that's a real kind of challenge for a lot of those women and I guess I would love to hear from you on this as somebody who is also a mum.
1: Yeah my god so I have so many opinions on this Mm. (laughs) or experiences on this so I had Ellie who's 16 in March when I was 25 Mm. so I was really young my mum didn't work we never had any money growing up and yeah you know i got a great education and I I loved my work. But the minute I was pregnant with Ellie, I wasn't remotely interested in work. I wanted to be a mum and I wanted to be at home and that just wasn't possible for us. So we were twenty five. We still had student loans when we got pregnant. I mean I paid them all off in nine months, but you know, we didn't own a house and we moved out to Surrey, which is one of the most expensive areas in the country and you know lots of my friends were and are 15 years older than me so they just had this level of financial cushion that we will never you know we've never been able to no matter how hard you work you know if you have a baby at 25 rather than 40 Mm. you know you you'd never kind of catch up yeah yeah it doesn't matter how successful your business is well within reason so It's always been important to me to be around for the kids. And that's not just because there's pressure from the family. It is important. I want to be around. But I also needed a career and an income. My husband is amazing um, and he's amazing at what he does, but he's not highly, highly paid. Mm. So to live in the stockbroker belt means that my business needed to pay. So I've always worked part-time and have big gaps between my children four and a half years between each one. And that was largely because I wanted to take maternity leave for Jasper. So Jasper's 11. And I took six months off with him. And I can remember entering this um, Surrey Businesswoman of the Year award. And it was all going really well until the male judge said to me, so what, you know, what are you working towards now? And I went, well, actually, I want to have another baby. So I'm setting everything in place so that I can walk out of my business for six months and it will still run. And that was, I could see the light go off. Everything changed. Yes. Yeah, I didn't get any further. And I just, I still look back on that. And I think, you know, that is one of my greatest achievements as a business to have a proper, you know, business with overheads that, that carried on. You know, I wasn't checking my emails every time the baby slept. I had five months off, well, six months off. Yeah, But Jasper was later than I expected. And anyway, so he was just over five months when I went back to work. But yeah. to have that, I thought that was an amazing achievement. Huge. And at the time, one of my competitors was in the Daily Mail talking about how she had her C-section booked for the morning so that she could be checking her emails in the afternoon. <laughs> and I was like, that is what people expect of mums. The badge of honour. Yes. Mm. Yeah, and it's rubbish. What I've always tried to do is stay Ambitious and create a career that I'm proud of. I know Ellie's really proud of it. No, Poppy so who's lovely six has got no idea. Yeah, <laughs> But yeah. Ellie really is. And try and be there for the kids. And it's not always easy. But by and large, I've done my best.
0: Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, yeah I think that takes, you've inspired me there. Then I, <laughs> I do hope that my four-year-old in time, when she's Ellie's age, can say she's proud. <laughs> um, as we draw to a close, where can people find you online?
1: So my website is thebrand-stylist.com. Yep. And I'm on Instagram as thebrand_stylist.
0: Wonderful. So, thank you so much for joining you. me. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If there's something that you've heard in this episode that has resonated with you, or perhaps you think it could benefit someone else, then please do share this link or start the conversation. If you haven't done so already, click on the subscribe button in your listening app. And as always, I really value your feedback. So please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. And for more information, full show notes, links and resources, you can pop over to my website, SineadMillard.com. See you next time back here on The Courage To Be.